Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, I'm Robert Frazier, and he's Tim Galley, and this is the Church Planner Podcast Wednesday edition, a part of the New Breed Training Network. We're here to help pastors and church planners reach the people that no one's reaching, by equipping leaders to do what no one else is doing. Welcome. It's so good to finally be doing this. My name is Robert Frazier, and this is our very first Wednesday edition of the Church Planner Podcast. Tim, how's it going, man? Not too bad. I'm excited for this. Thanks for having me. I, de- I definitely said my name twice there. That's how excited I am. I had to say it again because I'm just so excited to be here. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this. I'm just going to repeat everything <laughs> twice. <laughs> That's going to be the thing. <laughs> the, whole, the whole day we're just going to go twice. Well, uh, you know, this is this is new for us. We're, we're jumping in. I My story is I was, when I was planting my church and preparing to plant my church, actually, Tim and I worked together. I was living in the Boston area. I had planted a campus for our church there in the Boston area. And God kind of got a hold of my heart around church planning. And I was training for a half marathon, which um, was, is, is and was outside of my character. <laughs> and uh, as, as I was doing it, I needed to listen to something and I needed to listen to something long form. And so podcasts kind of became the thing I dove into. And I was like, well, there, there must be people who are doing church planting podcasts. And so I Googled church mm-hmm. planter podcast, and this is what came up. And man, it's been a wild ride in terms of how much this Peyton and Pete shaped my planting journey, have been a part of my story, and our, our friendship has kind of taken off from there. And this fall, I reached out to Peyton. I was like, hey, I noticed you guys aren't doing any more episodes. Is that for a reason? And he's basically like, yeah, we're just tired. And I go, great. How about we do it together and kind of sh- shift the deal? And he's like, hey, let's roll, man. So here we are. We're back at it. And uh, this is this is our first Wednesday edition. Uh, we're going to be doing Wednesday shows. Tim and I will be on here. We'll have some interviews with people who 
love church planners and want to serve you. Um, we're going to be getting things in front of you that you haven't seen before. We're going to talk smack about nonsense. And my hope is it's mostly it's sports. Like that's, I don't know, Tim, if that's your hope. We could talk, we could talk music and film too, but I'm hoping that there's a lot of sports talk. Yeah, I, I think we can. I think we can pull that off. Um, I, I have well, what my our church staff has in our bracket, um, you know, our bracket contest thing. Um, I have the third worst. Uh, so I feel okay. very qualified uh, to tell you that Houston is not going to win. Alabama is not going to win. Um, uh-huh. I don't have anybody in the final four. Not a single. Not, I, don't, I, I didn't know if I had how many Sweet 16 people I had. It was like one of my worst brackets. So I oh. am ready to pontificate. Okay, uh, I'm, on, I'm glad because I, sports. since I've since I've been removed from Boston and the, I think yeah. the pro sports talk world like that is, the Boston radio market has the best and worst of Homer New England fans that just talk crap all day and when you when you leave you don't realize how much you enjoyed that, and you as a New York fan having to sit through that is enjoyable to me, and so I. First, I want to talk. Well, let's let's dive into Lamar Jackson first. And have you heard? All right, let's go. Are people losing their minds over there as he's talking about like wanting to be a patriot? Uh, so this is what I do. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time in the car. So like when ESPN sends me an alert uh, saying Lamar Jackson has you know tweeted that he want he's requested a trade from the Ravens and blah blah blah. Um, and then if there's anything Patriots controversial related, I run to the radio in my car. Um, like, this is it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a fun day. Because as you say, the people calling in, I mean, they are just like, oh, my gosh, if we can get Lamar. Like, I mean, it's just like insane. And also, like, I did this, like, when Brady left the Patriots a few years ago. I mean, like, you know, like, I, I didn't read my Bible. I, I I didn't like I didn't go to meetings. I just sat by the radio. You sat in your car to people to the radio. Lose their minds. And Tom Brady and has left the Patriots. How much joy did you have in that? Like how much Schadenfreude? Like were you really like enjoying in that? A lot. I mean, quite a lot. I mean, I would have had more joy had my New York Giants not been so pitiful. Because um, like you know, not only do you want to see like the teams that you don't like lose, but you know you need your team to win. So there was some emptiness but so you're not I'm, a, I'm gonna like you know forget that and just celebrate you know in the misery of my friends you're not on the daniel jones bandwagon you're not glad that they're paying him however many millions of dollars a year <laughs> i'm like, like like right now lamar jackson's like I, I wish i had daniel jones's contract you know <laughs> I mean, like that's, that's the state of these things that's when you know you've I mean, fallen pretty far <laughs> <laughs> he had like one really good playoff game when he beat the Vikings, you know, Daniel Jones, like he looked really great there. Um, so if, if that was the starting point, you know, man, I'm all in, but that is by far his, his best game. Well, so let's, let's dive into your, um, your pedigree. Like we need to talk about who you are and why you're yeah, here. Sure. The answer is um, Tim knows nothing about church planting. And that was the true, the major selling point of him being a part of this podcast. Um, so, so Tim, tell them what you do and why you said yes. I have no idea why you said yes, other than you wanted to talk sports with me. Yeah, I keep I keep asking myself that as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I I've been in the ministry for for twenty years. Um, I 
I love the kingdom of Jesus and I want to see it happen in this world. So anybody who's about that is an ally of mine, whether, you know, they're part of a different tradition, whether, you know, whatever size church background, whatever, uh, church planters do have a special place in my heart because there's a lot of good new energy always in church planting world. Um, but yeah, when you sent me the text saying, Hey, join this podcast with me. Um, you know, I thought a few things, you know, one, um, he, he, he's a dear friend of mine. He, he knows I, I, I don't church plants. Um, <laughs> um, B like, like his 10 other dudes must've said no to this thing. <laughs> so he's like, well, I mean, like there, there was not another list. Yes. This, this was number one. I gotta be honest. There was not, there was not what? even a number two. So man, I'm honored. Um, and I probably would have said no um, if, if it wasn't like, you know, you and, and this dynamic, because I, I think we do kind of get each other pretty well. But I do want to correct um, something that you said a moment ago. That is that I, I don't know anything about church planting. Um, okay. Okay. Sorry. I, I've been jealous I, I apologize about these church planters for, for years. I mean, like you get these like really fun, talented, smart guys. They, they, they put up a website. You know, they, they, you know, they don't have to work for six months, you know, cause like they're launching it's and a then sabbatical like hundreds, if not a thousand guys. people, <laughs> it's a sabbatical. Yeah. And that like a thousand people show up on Easter Sunday. It's going to be like the next greatest thing ever, man. It looks so amazing. It looks so much fun. I, I, I don't know why they get into this. That's church planting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, we got more more work to do than I realized, but okay, well, <laughs> okay, okay. And you have like all these volunteers, like who are willing to turn over an entire elementary school into a church and then yeah. turn it back into an elementary school. Like, and, yeah. and all you got to do as a church planter is say, like, we need this, and it's done. It's preach. That's amazing. All you do is preach. You don't do anything else, basically. As a church planter, it's, <laughs> it's kind of the deal. I, yeah, um, see, I, sh- I should have made a shift a long time ago. No, honestly, it's way easier than working in a mega church. Got to be honest. The mega church was so hard, like having so many meetings like that. The meeting part was really what got me. And so I'm like, you know what? I want less meetings, but I want more moving chairs. That was kind of like the the shift for me. Yeah. And that's when I was like, church. Yeah, planting. that's the trade off. <laughs> that's the trade off. I can see that. I can see that. No, I, I said yes. Um, I said yes because I know you. Um, and I, I, I know you have this incredible heart for the kingdom and I know you love the church and, and, you know, jokes aside, kidding aside, um, I want to, I want to always be in conversation and in partnership uh, with people who are building the kingdom of God, regardless, uh, of what type of church model, uh, or church philosophy that we are in. So seriously, um, I'll probably make fun of you later, but as a, serious moment i really am honored that, that you've asked me to to be part of this with you so thank you for that okay can we move on from this awkward part where you're being nice and flattering me <laughs> like, yeah this absolutely is, this is the hey, hardest Robert, part of the you know when so you far. click on a, your church website and you're embarrassed <laughs> no uh, no no Tim, people to, to it wait 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 too early <laughs> oh not we're not doing we're not doing that yet no, no. the, the segue yeah, no, later um, you gotta you gotta wait for that man jeez all right. Well, let me let me look on the schedule here on uh, uh, for what we should what we're supposed <laughs> which, to talk which about next. Jokes next. You gotta have your, your Lamar Jackson. Back. Have we talked about Lamar Jackson enough yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's start Please. there. 
You know what oh, I do want to talk about is are, are the new rules for baseball. Are you excited about yeah. this baseball season? It starts on yeah. Thursday. I am excited about the baseball season. And like we've talked a little bit about it, but I'm going to be out in Boston in May. And I'm really stoked. We're, I think we're going to get a couple games in at Fenway. And, you know, the Red Sox have been a deep, deep disappointment the last four years. So it's hard to like get real excited, especially when Aaron Judge is playing the way he is. It just makes me mad yeah, all the time. It's amazing. He's just irrationally just frustrated. It's one of my favorite moments in life right now. Um, yeah, I know. I know. And uh, so so the, for those of you who don't know, Tim is from Pennsylvania, and somehow that made him a New York Yankees fan because he's a terrible <laughs> human. I, I'm trying to figure out the connection point there. Um, what What was it that made you like darkness so much tim when you decide to be a new york sports fan yeah so so first i, I was born in jersey city new jersey and for early years are, is are that a, there is, in this new jersey new york metro area it's like okay. it's like 12 miles from the bronx you know okay um, okay and then eventually when we did move to allentown pennsylvania area um we still got was called at the time WPIX, which was like a New York Yankee station. And so when you're a kid, like you kind of just stick with what's familiar to you. And so mm -hmm. the Yankees games were on, even though I had moved, you know, out of New Jersey. Um, and then like, it's also just like the irrationality that you have as a kid. Like when I was a kid, I could, I was a very fast runner. I was like one of the fastest in my class, you know, for a couple of years. Um, and at the time, Ricky Henderson was on the New York Yankees, who was like very fast and like kid logic uh -huh. is like, that guy's fast. I'm fast. That, that's Therefore. my guy. This is my team. I identified with it. And then, and then you fall in love with Don Mattingly and, and David Winfield. And, you know, there's a guy named Mike Pagliarulo. That was like the most syllables I could ever pronounce at that time of my life. You know, did you so, get yeah, SI for kids when you were a kid? Did you get the magazine? Sports Illustrated for kids? Or were you a little too old for that? We we didn't have SI for kids. Oh, man. we didn't have SI for kids in my age. We had we had actual Sports Illustrated that, that you were expected to read as a three year old. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I did, In, including including the swimsuit edition. <laughs> it's educational, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never never made it to uh, never made it to the mailbox, I guess. <laughs> Uh, no, so I, I want to know I'm, how you became a Boston Red Sox fan, living and growing up in Boise, Idaho. I mean, that that's you can make a a case for like you know New York to Pennsylvania. That's yeah. like two thousand five hundred miles away. It it is. It, so I'll, I'll walk you through. Actually, I, I realized just yesterday that there's a really embarrassing part to the story that I I hadn't like grabbed hold of for a while. Um, mm. I there's a new. Have you seen this new Reggie? Uh, Jackson documentary that's coming out. I I have not. Like it's it's a Mr. October kind I'm of. I'm interested like, now. It's it looks really I'll good actually. And I I saw yeah. this ad. I think it's on HBO or something. And they were talking about it. And what I remembered was like when I was early elementary, so six, seven, eight years old. My dad was not a sports fan. My dad hates sports in a lot of ways. And so yeah. I kind of had I had Mine to figure too. it out on my own. Like I had to like it was me and my buddies at school like going hey and. It started with a cereal box. There was like a Mr. October, like cereal box, you know, like a cornflake sort of thing. And I remember being like, who's this guy? He plays in October. That's when the World Series is, you know, like it, mm. it kind of clicked in my mind. So I was a Reggie Jackson fan when I was little. I, I just remembered that wow. this week. 
And what happened was I hit like fifth, sixth grade and there were a bunch of kids around who were wearing Yankees hats and I hated all of them. And so mm. it actually started as a Yankee fan hater thing. And then as I like hit high school and started to really dive into sports, realized that there was a team that was committed to hating the Yankees. And so yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, this is my team. These are my people. They hate Yankees fans. Therefore, I should like their team. <laughs> and so they they kind of that that like started to it, it planted a seed in my heart. And then, uh, yeah, I, I you know, as, as my fandom grew, Red Sox became my team because Boise's like, you know, it's 12 hour drive from Colorado and the Rockies. It's a 10 hour drive to San Francisco. It's a nine hour drive to Seattle. So it's like not, there's kind of like a mixture of people like between the A's and the Giants and the Mariners and the Rockies and the, the Rockies were like an expansion team. So a lot of people jumped on that one when I was a kid. But for me, it was like the Red Sox were kind of like always, always my team. And then when I was looking at seminary, I have to be honest, Gordon Conwell, it, like the, the professors, the theological positions, the the history of the school had no part. It was only proximity Fenway that made the decision where I was going to seminary. Yeah. So, you know, if we're honest about it, that's that's the reality. I, I just as the point of observation, I just find it interesting that you were a hater from day one. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Like hater culture begins the story. Like, like you don't even love the thing. You just hate the Yankees. To be That's clear, I love the Red Sox. You think more I have darkness now. in my heart? <laughs> no, I, I recognize that, but we're not the evil empire. We were the scrappy underdogs who had an exciting story overcoming a three Oh deficit in the league championship series. Like we're talking about, this was the most important moment in sports history. And it was, it included your suffering as a part of our joy and it made it all the more sweet. It, it was a tough time. Yeah. It, yeah, it was, was it was, it was absolutely a tough time as, as a sports fan. It's quite remarkable as, as a Yankees fan. Oh man, that was, that was just a nightmare. That was just an absolute nightmare. I I'm, I'm grateful that we have 27 other world championships to, to console us. <laughs> oh, and, and, and these last 10 this... years have been terrible. However, I'm see, everybody was like, why is he a Yankees years. fan hater? And then you said it and there was like, Oh, that's why like, that's, like they, they just saw it come to life. Like you embodied all of that. All right, we're we're no, getting probably you, a little. You dug up the worst moment. <laughs> oh, okay. We should we should we should pivot. You're we, totally right. We should pivot. Hey, Robert, you know when you click on a church website and you're just embarrassed to show. <laughs> Go for it. Now's playing. the time. You can hit it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this was the cue. Yeah. yeah, go I was for it. going to talk about baseball <laughs> and the new rules. All right, we're going to wait for that for the next time. Yeah, yeah. No, for real though. Um, hey, for, do you know when you click on your church website and when you're just embarrassed to show it, and like the main image is like the terrible photo with people who don't even go to your church. They never went there. They're just like nice looking people, and we want to project them onto the screen. And the about page is mostly just about bunch of words that no one actually wants to read and they regret instantly hitting the about page. Yeah. Well, I, I know that feeling. I, I know that feeling, <laughs> which is embarrassing because, because I'm a web designer. So this is really embarrassing to say out loud. <laughs> well, good, good news. You don't have to do that 
anymore. You need a website that is super simple to update, that is beautiful and functional, and is also cost-effective. And we want to tell you about Church Web Builder, and that's where you get that. Check it out, Church Web Builder. Save 40% on your first year for brand new church plants and 15% off for all Church Planter podcast listeners with the promo code Church Planter Podcast. Hey, for a first time, like that's the promo. You've you've got a face and a voice for radio. You're killing it. Like that was, you know, we're gonna get better at that. <laughs> no, I actually you have you probably haven't listened to as many episodes <laughs> of Peyton and Pete doing this, and people pay them to give those ads, and you're always like, huh? People pay for that, huh? <laughs> so yeah, we're. We're gonna we're gonna get better at that. You killed it. All right. Well, let's. I do want to give like a little bit of content, at least context today. Um, we're gonna be doing every Wednesday. We're gonna have some interviews. We're gonna have a couple, probably twice a month, where you and I are just gonna talk and like dive into a topic. A couple times a month, we'll have interviews with some like famous author kind of folk and some just Joe Blow church planter. Like we're. I I talked to a friend last night. We were literally at his. I'm leaving ministry party. I don't know if you've, have you ever been to one of those? Like a guy is leaving his church and you have a party for him. Like it was a bunch of pastors going, good for you, man. Like everybody's, everybody's like slow clapping. I, I haven't, I haven't. That, that reminds me of like when, um, when, when Jack White got, got, you know, from the white stripes got divorced oh. um, from, from his, his sister, wife, whatever. Yeah, not not the was, first one, but, but no, okay. the, yeah, the model one. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they had like this big party, like it was like a divorce party. It was like the first time I'd ever heard about, about something like that. I, I know it's common now, yeah. but that's what that sounds like to me. So, well, so they had like a, I'm leaving ministry party. Yeah. It was kind of like that. It was more like the guys who are part of our network of church planners. We just gather around him just to celebrate how God would use his faithful presence. That was kind of the idea. But while we're there, I'm like, Hey, would you that's do a post, cool. would like you that. do a postmortem of your church planting journey with us? And he said, yes. Mm. And so we're going to, we're going to dive into his like whole story start to finish, because I think that we talk a lot about the beginning of churches. We don't talk about the end of the journey in ministry. Don't want to talk about the end of journey in church life. And there's so much to learn for us as we're starting out about what things will happen along the way. So that's going to be the format. We're going to be doing smack talk for the beginning. So if you don't like this part, um, you can just skip ahead 15, 20 minutes each episode and just miss out on the nonsense that Tim and I are probably going to talk too much sports, a little bit of music, a little bit of pop culture, maybe like on a rare instance, funny things that happen in politics, never serious things that happen in politics, you know, like the moments we're going to, we're just going to grab hold of the moments. We'll talk about them. Um, and today I really wanted to dive into who Tim is and just like get a sense uh, let you know him because I know everything about Tim. We we have shared a lot of life together, and so I want to start with just letting you get to know him. So Tim, let's start with where do you live, what do you do, and then maybe a little bit about your family. Yeah, sounds good. I I live in the greater Boston area in a town called Tewksbury, Massachusetts, uh, which is about twenty five miles, give or take, um, north of uh, you know Boston proper. Um, married to my wife, Susan, for 23 years. We have four kids together. Our oldest 
is in ninth grade. Um, he, uh, so we have two boys, ninth grade and seventh grade. And then we have two daughters, uh, fifth grade and second grade. And we're, we're those ridiculously proud parents. Um, and then in the home, you know, we are like just yelling and like, do your homework, you know, do all the chores. And then we have like these really nice, you know, beautiful redemptive moments of like, oh, I'm just so proud of this child and then all that. Um, so we're, I think we're, we're somewhat normal, you know, in, in all these things, somewhere between the, the yelling and the, and the, and the, and the loving, I guess. Um, I serve as the pastor of discipleship at Grace Chapel. I've been here since 2011. And, um, you know, so, so the discipleship at Grace Chapel is about spiritual formation, small groups, and, and trying to give people imagination of what it looks like to serve out, uh, serve out their faith in the kingdom of God and make an impact in this world. Uh, so I support the campuses on that. I get to preach every so often. Um, and, you know, it's, it's ministry. So like, there's like some like really, really, really tough days. And there's a, like a, you know, many really, really, really fulfilling days. And, and sometimes both days are on the same day type of a thing. Uh, but that's, that, that's, that's a bit of my everyday context. All right. Well, I, I think that that gives like a, a great starting point, but I want to kind of double click into, let's talk about like the context you're serving in, give a little profile of Grace Chapel. Like, uh, you know, I, I obviously know quite a bit about it because we served together there, but just kind of give a picture of here's what that space is like. Here's size. Here's the kind of people that go there. Give them a sense. Yeah. It, it was a church plant, um, 70 something <laughs> years ago. <laughs> um, but now, but now it's not, uh, now it's officially not. Um, yeah. So Grace Chapel, it, interestingly, is, is kind of like an anomaly type of church in, in, in New England where it's this, you know, multi thousand people, you don't know, quote unquote, we call it a large church. We don't ever, we don't ever call it a mega church, but I, I understand that it fits by definition in that category. So it's a, it's a large church uh, with like one very big campus out of Lexington. That's the first campus. And then because there was thousands of people going there in, you know, for, for, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years at that point, um, at the end of like the 2010s, so, so like think 2008, 9, 10, they were trying to figure out like, do we need to build a parking garage in order to get more people into this building because parking was a problem and space was a problem. And around that time, they were thinking, they were, they were seeing the success of multi-sites around the country. And one of the things I, one of the first impressions I had of Grace Chapel that I really liked was instead of building a parking garage, they decided to multi-site and they started another campus uh, about 15 miles away from them in a town called Wilmington. And this began their multi-site journey. Uh, they, then they had a few other campuses uh, one in Watertown, which Robert uh, was the first uh, campus pastor of. Uh, we had another one in another part of Lexington, and then we have one in also Foxborough. And now in midst of COVID, we also launched uh, an online campus. We see that not just as just you know an online video that we show later. We we're, we're actually trying to create a community and a campus feel uh, to that. So we have five physical locations, but six campuses is how we describe it. And all the other campuses are, yes, significantly smaller, and they, they, they look more like New England campuses, which we like. Uh, we, we, we haven't 
of course, we want some sense of similarity and some sense of shared ethos and shared values. Uh, we also want every campus to be its own campus. Like this is this is who they are. This is what this community is about. So every one of them has like their own, you know, set of just their own campus makeup. Their their own set of distinctive um, flavors, if you will, and we we value that too. So it makes our meetings very very interesting uh, when we like we we want to pursue a particular initiative, and you know, one campus passes and be like, well, I don't think that's going to work on my campus, or I think this is actually more compelling if we do this over here. Uh, so, so there's a lot of that. Uh, we're trying to figure this out together, but also move in the same direction together. Yeah. And just to give like some geographic kind of like place marker points. So like from Wilmington to Foxborough is about a 45 minute drive, depending on yeah traffic on 95. So it's like a, a pretty, and, and that's Boston. Boston kind of goes from Rhode Island to Southern Maine and to like even southern new hampshire there's kind of this massive block and so you guys are spanning like kind of the interior um from 95 in is kind of like your your area and mostly on kind of the suburb like just not not in the city but just outside the city um so tell a little bit about the story of of grace chapel how did it start and then like what's who are the people who are drawn to Grace Chapel and like, what's, what's the connecting point for a lot of them? Yeah. In the late, in the late forties, there was like this, this four or five sets of families that were meeting in the garage and they, they just didn't like what was kind of around them. And they wanted something simpler, uh, more Jesus focused, uh, there was also just a reaction that they had against, you know, some of the uh, predominant denominations that were kind of around them type of a thing. So back then, the idea of doing something, you know, non-denominational or interdenominational was actually the word that they had settled on was very appealing to them. Mm. And that spirit of like, what is essential continued all throughout the history of Grace Chapel, even till right now. So, so right now, like, you know, like there's former Presbyterians, not just in our, you know, in our seats, but like on our staff, there are, there are former, you know, various other backgrounds, you know, people who have leaned, uh, and, you know, more, more charismatic, um, you know, some very Baptist -y, some post, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it is, it has become a collection, um, of these, uh, of different traditions and, and, and non-traditions, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, here at Grace across staff and throughout our congregational makeup. And so we do have like a lot of just, you know, different theological viewpoints on secondary matters. But but the thing that makes it work is like, we're, we're going to be united on, you know, these sets of, of theological points. Um, you know, who Jesus was, the resurrection, the infallibility of scripture. Um, we're going to, we can talk hours and hours and hours about the different nuances of how to understand the inspiration and inerrancy and infallibility of scripture. But those are that, that's that kind of how we go. A, like, what is essential? a wonderful, horrible set of podcasts that we probably should do, like inerrancy versus infallibility. <laughs> we'll probably lose half our listeners, but it would be a fun conversation. <laughs> it sure would. Yeah. It sure would. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so, well, so the people who are who are, the, are drawn to Grace Chapel, you know, yes, mostly suburban types, mostly looking for something that is along the lines of like this essential Christianity. What difference does Jesus really make in my life and in my family's life? 
Um, and I think to some degree, like, you know, we're not, we're not high church in a lot of ways. And in, in, in New England, it's like, you know, very time sensitive, very, you know, we counter words type of a thing. Uh, so like these hour and, you know, five, 10 minute services, you know, they got to move and they got to be meaningful. So there is a practicality to, I think, you know, who is drawn to our types of, of, of service styles. Yeah, that's a that's a, such a New England ethos is like, let's get in, let's get out and let's go have lunch. It's like this very, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's talk about you and Grace Chapel. What what brought you from Jersey and Pennsylvania up into New England? And what was the what was the inciting incident in your life that brought you up there? Yeah, so um, when I was serving in New Jersey, we were there for about five years, like in North Jersey. And it was a really special time in our lives. We, you know, we had started our family there. Um, we had gone through a, just a period of healing uh, for all sorts of things that we'll probably talk about other times. Uh, but it was, a, it was an excellent time of life. And we were living in a parsonage, which is also wonderful in its own way. But um, as we were growing our family, we were realizing that the long-term trajectory of, of this is not, is not really a great fit here. And as, as wonderful as that church was, and as much as they've tried to try to figure things out with us, it just seemed that, you know, that chapter of, of ministry there was ending. So I started looking for other churches. Um, I actually ended up getting a, a headhunter. Somebody had introduced me to the concept that pastors have headhunters, which was just bizarre to me. And I was like, oh, there's no way I'm doing this, but I'll give the guy a call. Um, and that guy was awesome. I was like, yeah, like if you could find me something, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> um, yeah, he was terrific. Um, but he, he actually didn't find me Grace Chapel. Uh, he, I, I had, I just found this, uh, on, you know, one of those, you know, placement, uh, one of those just random websites that you have mm-hmm. the regular ones. Um, I, I wrote what I thought was a very compelling cover letter. Um, it must have been. Uh, yeah, apparently. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not sure the resume was great, but the, the cover letter. Um, and, and then just the interviews that I had were just like really, really, you know, really wonderful. But I'll tell you this, though, to answer your question and try to make this somewhat interesting. Uh, Grace Chapel was like in my top five of options at the time because I didn't see myself going to a large church. Uh, Grace Chapel was great, but I just didn't see myself in a large church context. Um, I was suspicious against large churches, I, and and if, and if anything, some of the large churches that I had been around were um, uh, they just weren't things that I wanted to be a, a part of and be identified with. Yeah. And this role that I interviewed for in small groups, when I got to talk to the senior pastor and the current, uh, and the, the, at the time was the um, pastor of discipleship. Um, I, I loved how they were just trying to describe. Christian community and what they wanted to bring uh, into that that context. This is a really big place. You can get lost in it, and you need to make this place smaller in an intimate, personal, relatable sense. And that's that's why we have such a value of small groups. And that did interest me. But that's exactly what any large church would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I just kind of kept we just kept the conversation going. And as time would go on, um, I was like, you know, I actually feel very compelled by by what they're describing. And I was also starting to feel um, just, just a, a spiritual movement to that. And it did not help me that it was outside of New Jersey and like, you know, in, in the Boston area surrounded by, this is actually kind of awkwardly true. Like I, I didn't want the closest sporting events 
uh, to be, you know, the Red Sox and the Patriots. Um, I really <laughs> that, liked where I was living. You had to die know, to your, to your flesh Yankees and Giants. To, to show up and live in a place. Yeah. And like amongst like all the shallow things that you pray about, you're like, like, look, this, this can't be the reason that I don't do something. Uh Um, Otherwise you're not really, (laughs) you're not really called out for the, you know, for the the ministry of, uh, and this calling that, that you think that you have, you Um, know, when I was considering calling more and more compelled, that was a piece of it. Like I was like, God, I'll go anywhere, but the South mostly because I just can't be around that many sec fans. Like it's just too, soul crushing to me and so i'm like god i i just pray i pray i pray i pray please don't make me do that and he he showed me grace right like that's <laughs> apparently you had more every formation to do <laughs> every now and then god just god just spares us and, and does not make you plant a church in alabama <laughs> yeah yeah my brother lives in yeah, alabama so I, I go I just down there and i'm like this is this is not good so it's it's probably a good thing God didn't bring us there. Anyways, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's it. No, I, I felt very compelled by it. Um, and you know, we checked out. We did the whole interview thing. We just we landed there. We we got connected there. Um, and it's been a really great thing. But I'll, I'll say this too. I wasn't sure how long I was going to stay um, here at Grace Chapel. You know, my my pattern had been I, I pretty much leave every five or so years, give or take. Um, and you know, around that five year mark, you know, I was like, I, I think I, in some ways like this place more. Um, and throughout the time there have been ups and downs there, there really have been. Um, and in the COVID years, like, you know, like, like everything was just kind of breaking loose. So like, there was like another set of taking inventory of, you know, like of calling and of future and of context. And you know, I, I would say that the Lord just continues just to to tell us, like this, this, this is where you are. Um, this is where you are. So, so, so be present where you are. And if I call you, then then be ready to move. But, but I haven't. Um, I've called you here, and that that feels like a really, um, it feels like a really a, ver- a very true and real thing for me these days. Great. Well, I, I love I love hearing your kind of analysis of those stories as you go because it it changes over time. You see how like when I lift this up, it just like slowly drops. It keeps, it keeps falling. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, I think, I, think I need, to, up somewhere, somewhere. need to fig, figure that out. Um, well, uh, one question I want to ask you is who are who are your main influences when it comes to ministry philosophy, like? Like who's who shaped you as a thinker, as a leader, and then who are some of the church planters that you have respected and have have learned a lot from? Because I think that'll help people see that, like, it's not just a "Hey, I'm doing this because Robert's here," but because you know you you actually yeah. love and care yeah. for what we're doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say N.T. Wright on, on the, the the theology sense. Um, has been really helpful to me. I, w- I would say Dallas Willard, and you know, ages ago when I was reading, like when I first read the Divine Conspiracy, like I w- like that was a, a spiritual turning point in my life. Yeah, um, that would have been like in the late '90s, give or take. Um, and then surprised by, surprised by hope. Um, y- even though I was pr- more in those conversations by then, um, that that was just like, oh man, like I, I hear, I feel that's like. Some of like my favorite, the way I see favorite albums, um, 
you know, like, like those books were just like really important to me. Um, so like on the theology side, you know, pretty, pretty typical. Um, and then I just, I fell in love with Alan Hirsch. Like, I think Alan Hirsch is just amazing. Um, I, I also did have like, you know, like emerging church, you know, type of influences, um, you yeah. know, for a stretch of years in, in reaction to, uh, some of the things that were around me in the early 2000s and so on. Um, so like, I, I actually like Brian McLaren and, and many others and, and still have a, a respect for him. Uh, but what became more formative um, in a in a practical ministry sense were the missional church guys. Um, yeah, so Hirsch and, um, you know, the Fergusons and, you know, all that, that whole crew of people uh, were really helpful to me in a, in a really important time. Because um, like, I feel like I was always having to like rebuild my ecclesiology, yeah, uh, in the context that I was in, and um, they were thoughtful and not overly prescriptive. And it was there's an empowering to that whole missional church movement, and I, and I think that's why I do like so many, so many of these church planting guys because a lot of them talk about church culture, and and church culture needs to be rethought and deconstructed and reconstructed you know, every so often. Yeah. And that is actually one of the things that makes me envious of church planters in general. Like, like you get to create new church culture. It, it sounds so, I feel like it's so amazing do that right? as well. And, but, and then when you create a culture and it's like broken and you're like, Oh, this is what I create. <laughs> here's, here's, <laughs> here's the excesses and problems with my way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, and, and every church culture is broken uh-huh. to some extent. But but culture making is an extremely important aspect to these things, and, and I think that's and, and I think I feel like those guys, those authors, those men and women, um, have like a really really great take on those things. And over the years, more recently, um, the spiritual formation voices like like Ruth Haley Barton and uh, Peter Scazzaro, you know, like like they're talking about church culture, church health mm-hmm. from a different perspective, mm-hmm. and I, I find those voices to be very helpful as well. Yeah. Well, we're, we're kind of running up on our time for this first episode, but um, yeah, I, I want to talk about a lot of the things you, you touched on, because I think that when we're talking church planting, we're talking about the future of what the church will be. Every church plant is creating the culture of how the church will become what it is over the next generation, because churches have these generational shifts. They make it through maybe one or two generations. They cease to exist in a new church steps into that geography. That's almost always how things go. That's one of the things that makes Grace Chapel such a anomaly is that it's had a vibrant ministry for Mm. 60 or 70 years of growth and vitality and seasons of fruitfulness. And um, so I, Mm. I think that church planting gives us space to talk about ecclesiology because when you're in an existing church, the ecclesiology is pretty set. It's hard to change and think about different ways of being when it's like so set in a culture, but a church plant gives space for that. When we're talking about theology, you can work things out better in a smaller setting where people have less right. less boundaries to protect. So church planting is a space for us to ask those questions differently. Um, and I, I also think that when, when we're doing church planting, it also, it gives us room to ask what, what should we deconstruct about what the church is that we've received? 
what was added on from last generation that's not essential to the way of Jesus and how can we contextualize it in this next season? So I, I love the way you're thinking about it. Um, that's it for today. Actually, our, our first uh, interview is going to be with Dave Ferguson here in a couple weeks. So we'll get, we'll get some of those voices in on the podcast. Um, and remember, friends, if you want to reach who no one else is reaching, you've got to go where no one else is going and do what no one else is doing because that's where the kingdom of God breaks into this world. We'll see you next week, friends, on Wednesday. Take care. Take care, everybody. Grace and peace. All right. One episode down.